Hello, and welcome to my lecture series. My name is Nick Lugo, and thank you for being here. Before we get started, I just want to give an explanation or a reminder as to why you're here and why I do these lectures in the first place. It may seem true to you that the reason to come to one of these lectures, or a lecture in general, is to learn, and you wouldn't be wrong, but it's much more than that. You're here to act. The learning part is obvious, but not the acting. Often, I, more than anybody else, know how to act, but simply just don't act. For example, it's not a groundbreaking discovery that going to the gym is important. This is something that we all know. Yet, the hardest part is, and I'll say it again, action. As you know, the lectures that I'll take you through are hero stories, and there is much to learn from them. Therefore, the first lesson to learn from these stories and these movies is a simple one, one that you already know. Heroes follow their heart. They don't think about following their heart. It is action that separates the heroes from the rest. The goal of this lecture is to facilitate thought and action, as the two are so desperately intertwined. Therefore, I make this statement that I say with absolute conviction. If this lecture series does not change the actions you take in this world, then I have failed you. This idea of action is one that I explore with incredible depth in these lectures. Finally, if you're looking for a more direct way to act, I suggest you check out my new book, Breaking Your Bad Habits in 150 Pages, A Hero's Journey. My book takes these abstract lessons and applies them directly to you and any bad habit or human weakness that you might be struggling with. I place you in the shoes of a hero and show you how to be both a thinker and a doer, all in 150 pages for those of you who don't consider themselves readers. You can find the book on Amazon by searching it or by clicking the link in this video. Now, let's get on to the lecture. We're trying to figure out, this is the main question that we're trying to figure out. What is the path to a perfect setup? A perfect organization of structures. And the reason why I make it so broad is because you take a story like Batman and you could apply this to government and politics but that's really not why we're here like we don't we don't watch movies to understand the structure of of governments and you know and how to how to run a fully functioning state you know that's that's not really what it is we look at it to see okay what is batman doing and how could i emulate batman because well he's such an interesting character and um and he's a hero. And we ask ourselves, how could I be a hero in my own life? You know, what can I do to be a hero? So I'm going to take this idea of, of the state and I'm also going to take this idea of principles, you know, this, um, this, this fully functioning principled state and a fully functioning principled man, which is Batman, and then apply it to how it could actually relate to hopefully a fully functioning principled you. Right, how you could take these ideas and say, okay, I'm going to apply these to my own life, and well, how could I overcome this Joker figure? Right, like what is this Joker figure on as a barrier on the path to, we'll say, a heroic you or a heroic state? Right. So, um, so that's a good start. That's a that's a good start of of understanding this. So now what we have 
is we have this trickster figure, this figure who masks himself. And, um, well, I'm going to spend this time just literally just trying to understand the Joker because, well, we understand Batman a little bit, right? He's the heroic character who's principled, morals. He's got all this stuff going on. But then you have the opposite, right? The opposite is the Joker, the person who is chaotic, unprincipled, no morals, you know, and, um, <laughs> and there's... There's one thing that I really want to emphasize when I talk about barriers on the path to her heroism, right? And it and it lies with this conversation that he has later, you know. And this this is going to be the main way of understanding the Joker's character, so we can get the full setup, you know. So we have the Joker goes into the hospital and he starts talking to Harvey Dent, and this is as he's trying to explain to him, you know, why you should join my side, essentially, you know. And what is what does he say? He goes, "Do I really look like a dog with a? Uh, do I really look like a guy with a plan? I'm just a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do if I caught it." And um. And really, that's what he is, right? He's, you could say, obviously, right? This this doesn't require that much, um, abstraction. He's the ultimate figure of chaos, right? He's just absolute chaos, absolute, um, you know. We'll say unconscious desire, right? So he's literally just, he's a dog chasing cars, you know? He's just doing things out of out of a whim, right? He has no plans. He has no structure. He just does whatever his impulses tell him to do, right? And that's, that's really, that's a good way of looking at it, looking at it like a dog, right? Because, you know, a dog's an animal and a dog, you know, even though a dog loves, right? Even though a dog has this compassionate aspect to him or her, you know, what ends up happening is, Everything that it does is instinct, right? It has no higher level order to be able to figure out, okay, you know, should I should I make a strategy for how I'm going to love this person? Or what's my plan on, on you know, and this is what we do with, with people, right? How am I going to talk to her? How am I going to, you know, um, woo her over? You know, like all these, all these plans that we go through where dogs don't do any of that, right? It's just instinct. It's just, it's just chasing cars. And, um, and well, that's the first manifestation, right? So we, we, we could say he's a guy with no plans and he's a guy who just acts on instinct, right? But how does that relate to Batman? And here's, here's the, the answer. The answer is, he says, how pathetic their attempts to control things that really are uncontrollable. I don't know what he says there. Or I have to figure that out. Oh no, he just, that's that's the end, right? So how pathetic their attempts to control things that really are. So, you know, well, in that case, he's talking about the police department, right? And the police department is trying to set plans, trying to set rules, trying to set structures. You know, this is how we capture the Joker. This is how we do this. This is how we do that. And, um, well, the Joker is anti-plans. He's anti-structure. And this is the best part about him. He looks at these plans and he says, there are flaws within your plans, right? There are, there are flaws within the structure of your logic, right? Your lo you know, like all of what we do, you know, this is what we do in the society and this is what you try to do with yourself, hopefully, you know? In a society, we try to have set laws, right? We try to have set laws, and we try to um, we try to have set customs, right? You know, you go up to somebody, and 
you say, hi, how are you doing? And they say, how are you? You know, that little interaction. You don't say, and then when someone says, how are you? You usually say, good. You don't usually say, hey, listen, my mom just died yesterday, right? Like that's, that's not something a, a reasonable person would say, or at least a, a polite person would say, unless obviously you're really close with the person, but you don't say that to a stranger. And that's sort of the customs and the purpose of someone like um, well, first of all, then we take that to the individual level and on the individual level, you have something like a strategy, like a scheduling, right? When you try to create a strategy or well, schedule, schedule, you try to create a schedule for your day. You say, okay, here's what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to um, go to work. Then I'm going to go to school. Then I'm going to work out. Then I'm going to blah, blah, blah. You know, then I'm going to eat this and I'm going to eat that. You know, we have these set plans. What happens when things are really going well? you know, and then the joker comes in, you know, this, this feeling comes in of absolute chaos to come in and destroy your structure. So that's, that's what the joker is. The joker takes your plans. Well, this is the archetypal trickster figure in, um, in Jung psychology, Carl Jung. He takes your plans and he flips them on their head. He exposes the weakness in them. And, um, and that's his only that's his only goal. His only goal is destruction. It's not we'll say success or achievement or or some eventual desire to achieve. It's literally just destruction. And you could it's that's best explained it with an example, you know. Let's say you decide to quit smoking, right? Or Quit eating unhealthy is probably a better way of doing it because everybody has that moment throughout their life. They say, okay, wait a second. I've been eating a little bit unhealthy. Maybe I should scale it back. You know, I'm, I'm trying to lose weight. I'm trying to do all these things. That's a common problem. You know, two thirds of America is overweight. So we have this problem, right? We have this fundamental problem, let's say, that, that we don't eat well, you know? So we try to create a plan, right? And let's say we turn into Batman to do this, right? We say, okay, I'm going to be the hero and I'm going to go and do it. And um, let's say we go through, you know, two weeks and things are really going well. And um, and let's say you made it through two weeks of running, right? Of of doing some, you know, treadmill or, or elliptical type thing, or maybe just running around the block just to, just to get healthy. And then you have your smoothies and things are really going well, you know, and then, and then you meet someone like the Joker right? And the Joker is this destruction instinct within you that says, you just made a good plan and your plan's kind of working out. It's actually going okay. You know, you're, you're, you're following your rules and things are going great, but there's a weakness in your plan. The weakness is you have this, you have this other desire. You have this desire for pleasure, which is, you know, within all of us, right? Maybe, maybe in this case, it's the desire to lay on the couch and, you know, do nothing. And also the desire to, um, to eat unhealthy foods, right? To eat for pleasure, you know? So, um, he's like, you have these two desires and you've been repressing them for two weeks, two weeks. And it's been a little bit, you know, well, you've been feeling good, but you know, I'm not going away. These, these little desires for pleasure, they're really not going away. So then you have someone like the Joker come in and he says, wait, wait, I could tear down your plans because of this little weakness that you have inside of you. These, these little instincts that you've been putting aside and, um, like a dog chasing cars. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try to, I'm just gonna try to keep tearing things down until I get there. Right. And that's really the, that's really why the Joker's so, so popular and so strong. It's like, he's, 
He manifests himself in every single thing that we do. Every single time we try to create some sort of plan or some sort of schedule or some sort of rule, there's always something in there trying to break it apart. Always. Always. He's the chaos that exists within within order. And, well, that's that's the... The main problem with Gotham in general, and that's maybe one of the problems with Batman, you know, as, as we start to go through it, you know, the problem with Batman is that he, um, he has so many principles, so many rules, and the problem is when you create so many principles, the hard part is not creating the principles. The hard part is following the principles, right? Like, let's let's get that clear, you know? Most people um, break their New Year's resolution on January 12th. Right? And that's why I said two weeks. You know, you have that two-week period where things are really going well, but then the Joker comes in and, and really smacks that apart. And the problem isn't the rule. The problem is the following of the rule, you know? It's like it's two different people within you, you know, and that's that's a good way of looking at it. You have the part of you that wants to follow the rule, right? And that's that's maybe a good representation of the thinker, right? You know, I, I like to think of it as like the... um the statue of the thinker who's just kind of sitting there and, and he's kind of just contemplating, right? He's creating rules and creating ways to go about the world but then you also have the doer right and the doer has this problem of well how can i implement this plan and hopefully if you're a hero right maybe the the fundamental definition of a hero is somebody who integrates the the thinker and the doer right because if you look at you know you create rules and you follow them and Therefore, you have a strong established principle and you do what you say. You know, that's that's harder than we actually think, right? Like most most of the problem, I think it was like 70% of smokers who want to quit but can't. And that's that's the real problem. You know, you, you try to set a rule, but following the rules is the hardest part. I think, well, you look at you look at an institution like marriage, right? You take it to a to a individual example but also something on a, on a larger scale you know it's like okay you get into this contract you say i'm gonna love you and only you for the rest of my life great 50 percent of people cheat right first of all 50 percent of them get divorced right and then 50 percent of of people cheat right it's 50 49 percent of men 49 percent of women 56 percent of men and you ask the question it's like why is that right what is that and um, and it's because you have two different people within you. You have two different personalities within you. You have the person that wants to uphold the, the first of all, marriage and also the monogamous decision that you have made not to cheat, right? But then there's the other part of you, the joker that lies within you. And um, he's saying, wait a second, wait a second. You have this little impulse to cheat, right? You have this little, we'll say non-monogamous desire within you. And that's that's something that we've we've been able to prove, right, with with you know um with experimental testing. You know, if you look at a woman during a woman during her ovulation cycle, right, well, while she's ovulating, which is a period of like three days ish, um during that period, the woman is more likely to have an affair. Right and obviously ovulation, since ovulation is the time where you could have pregnant when you could get pregnant, right? With um, with pretty much with, I'm not gonna say ease, but you are most likely to get pregnant. Therefore, you know, kind of makes sense that you're gonna be a little bit more promiscuous. You're gonna you're gonna unleash that side of you that exists outside of the the monogamous relationship, which is represented in the Joker, 
right? This part of you that wants to destroy, this part of you that that has been repressing something for so long that it manifests itself in something that wants to destroy. And um, Freud called this the destruction instinct. He said that we literally have an instinct inside of us that um, that wants to destroy everything that that society has created. And, well, you could just kind of, you know, you could just kind of throw that off and say it's not that important. And, you know, you could just say, oh, that's a stupid idea that Sigmund Freud said because he has so many dumb ideas. But I mean, you know, maybe it's true, right? Like, you know, in all these examples, maybe maybe we do have this desire to destroy our diet, you know, to destroy our, our relationship, to destroy our progress. Because the problem is whenever you decide to progress in almost anything you have to sacrifice right imagine you know every time you say maybe i am going to um stop eating donuts right well you're you're sacrificing donuts right and when you sacrifice donuts the problem is that you well you're gonna have this hankering for donuts right you're not only are you suppressing this desire for donuts you're suppressing a part of yourself you're suppressing the part of you that wants pleasure and um Well, let's see if I could. Now, well, a good way of explaining it is then what happens is you have this bottling up effect, right? The bottling up effect is something that we, we all sort of intuitively, intuitively understand. It's like, okay, you know, you have this desire for pleasure and, um, and you, you push it away. You say no, right? You sort of throw it into a mental closet. You say, I'm not going to deal with you right now. And, um, well, you're just filling up your bottle. You're filling up your closet, right? But what ends up happening is obviously it ends up popping off eventually after you repress it and suppress it so many times that um, that you just can't handle it anymore. And that point where you where everything just sort of you know everything sort of comes out, that's the Joker, right? The Joker is this destruction instinct that says he doesn't have to be there, right? He doesn't have to be there so long as you don't want to sacrifice things, which, well. If you're living in any structured society, you're going to have to sacrifice things. So he always exists. That's the universal problem. We always have this joker that exists within us, and we're always trying to figure out what to do with him. You know, uh, what was the other example that I had? Oh, yeah, the other example was, you know, someone who is who acts as sort of like a doormat. Right, I, you see this all the time as somebody in relationships who's who's sort of a pushover, right? And they just completely get you know stepped on and all these things, while they're repressing this, we'll say, negative element within themselves, the confrontational element, and um, well, that's that's a form of repression, right? And what happens is eventually they burst out, right? Eventually they get they get abused and they get they get pushed over so many damn times that they're like, wait a second. I'm worth more than this, and they don't really know how to express it that well, So, and they don't really know how to confront it, so what do they do? They just sort of scream, and they say, don't treat me like that, you know? And um, and that's, that's the joker within you sort of, like, manifesting itself. So... So that's that's a good way of looking at him. He's, he's the rejection of plans. He's the rejection of a structured, logical way of living. Because isn't that what, what we all want to do, right? Isn't that what we all want to do? We all want to go for about, we want to go to the gym for an hour a day, right? Like if we were completely logical beings, if we were completely structured beings, and we if, if we were to follow this, we'll say thinker, right, that exists within us, then we were, we're, we're, we would go to the gym for one hour a day. 
But what is the barrier to that, right? What is the problem with that? It's the Joker, right? It's the Joker within us that says, wait a second, but I'm not, I don't, you know, it's the Joker that says, maybe I don't want to sacrifice. Uh, I don't want to sacrifice something that's not logical. I, want, I don't want to sacrifice emotions. I don't want to sacrifice laziness. I don't want to sacrifice, um, we'll say, yeah, that's probably good. Laziness, emotions, and maybe sleep, right? So I don't want to sacrifice these things. So I'm just going to destroy your plans. Your plans are stupid, you know? So I'm just going to, I'm just going to find the weak spot in it, which we all have weak spots because clearly we all don't go to the gym for an hour a day. And, um, and the Joker comes in and destroys everything. And that, that is the problem that Batman is going to struggle with across this movie, right? This is the I would say this is one of the most important things that, that humans have to grapple with. He is the representation of the dragon of chaos, right? If you want to look at it that way, you know, the, the hero fighting the dragon. You have no idea who the dragon is. You have no idea what he does. And, um, and you know, the biggest problem with the Joker, and this is the final thing that, that completes his character, he's always a step ahead of you. You always are working behind him. If you notice throughout this movie, you know, you can never predict the Joker's actions. You're always kind of like trailing behind him because, well, he's a representation of your emotions, right? And if he's a representation of your emotions, then you have to, well, first you feel the emo, right? Think of, think of the neurological process or the, the process as it, as it emerges within you, you know, you, you feel an emotion, right? And then if you're smart enough, right, which most people don't do, or maybe we'll say most people aren't smart enough, then you have to reflect on that emotion, right? So the emotion comes up first, step one, and then two, you realize you're having that emotion, you know, we'll say, so you're, you know, your, your partner starts bothering you, right? First, you feel that she bothers you. And then you say, okay, wait, she's bothering me. What do I do about it? Right? It's not, it's not the other way around. It's not you figure it out. And then, and then you stop the emotion from happening. It's no, the emotion comes first. So that's why he's a good representation of emotions because, and we'll say the destructive instincts, right? Because instincts always come first and they're always a step ahead of you. The only thing that you could do is well, if you're, if you're a hero, right, if you're smart, what you do is you think about it, right, you, you become the thinker, and then you implement a way to control those emotions and to, um, well, if you're, if you're smart, you implement them into your life. So you, you, you manage them. And that's, as we, as we talked about in Batman Begins, you know, that's the representation of Batman. You know, the representation of Batman is someone who is afraid of bats and therefore chooses to therefore chooses to integrate bats into his personality. And when he integrates bats into his personality, he is no longer, he is confronting bats every single second of every single day. And therefore he quells his fear, right? Because the only way that you could quell your fear of something is to confront it, right? Or I'll, I'll make that even broader. The only way to stop an unconscious process from happening, right, which would be emotions in this case, you know, so you could, you could even talk about it in terms of, you know, the, the examples that we just used. The only way to stop these emotions from happening or to quell these emotions is to be constantly confronting them, to be constantly thinking about them and, um, and managing them, you know, and that's the representation of Batman. So, 
we're going to watch as we go along, you know, Batman isn't going to be able to just get rid of the Joker, right? He's not going to be able to do something like that. It's going to be a little bit difficult. And it's a little unfortunate that they weren't able to play that out in the next movie because obviously Heath Ledger died after this movie. So Heath Ledger, the actor of the Joker, he died. So they weren't able to fledge that out really that much. But, um, but that's, that's, we, we see that play out throughout this movie. You know, you have someone like the Joker and he, <laughs> the whole, the whole, his whole pitch is, I'm never leaving you. You know, what happens when an, when an immovable object meets, meets an unstoppable force, you know, or the other way around. What happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object? You know, you have, you have somebody who's desiring to stop, to stop negative emotion, which is Batman, and then you have negative emotion, which never goes away. What happens when you have these two people? They're going to be in constant conflict. And that's, well, that's something that Batman learned from becoming Batman. And he's going to struggle with that along the way here. So now let's get into Batman because I think obviously this is this is the hero, right? So we just met the foe. Now we're going to meet the hero. And um, well, obviously I did, I, I did an entire Batman Begins lecture. So um if you're looking for the entire thing on Batman, then I suggest you watch my Batman Begins lectures because they are, well, they explain his entire origin story. But here's here's the problem that we're going to be running into, that Batman's going to be running into throughout this entire movie, right? So obviously now he's doing well, right? Now he's now he's he's become a good hero and he's established an ego, right? He's established a a set of principles, a set of morals, right? Which could be summed up in the word ego, and um. And now he has all these imposters, right? And um, and I really, I really like this idea of imposters because what you have here is sort of like you know here, here's the guy who kind of sits over here, right? And um, it really shows, you know, you imagine the way I like to look at these imposters, right? And th this is a good way of saying it. This is the opening scene, right? So you have the imposters, and then you have the villain from the last movie. So those are those are the two people that, that he confronts in the beginning. And if you were to imagine it, I like to think of it like this way, this way, you know? When you think about the person that you could be, right? There's about, well, well think about it, right? Say, if you were to work out for the next, 300 straight days, who would you be? You'd be one person, right? And then if you were to work out for the next 800 straight days, you'd be one person. Or, or imagine that, you know, you don't work out for the next, the next 300 days, right? Or imagine that you work out for 200 days. And, you know, there are, and you could sort of look into the future to think about, okay, what would, what would I be like? Who are the personalities that I could be? And well, I could imagine. So I say, if I work out for the next 300 straight days, then I'll probably have a lot more muscle and I'll probably be a little bit more disciplined and I'll probably be a little bit more, we'll say, um, organized and, and orderly and schedule-based, you know? So all of these things pop into my head. And then you say there could be the person who, um, who works out zero of the next 300 days is probably maybe gained a little bit of weight, probably not eating as healthily, probably not as engaged in, um, in scheduling and schoolwork and all these things. So, you know, you imagine that there are these potential yous that exist in, in the potential future. And 
only one of them is going to actually exist, right? You know, there's, we'll say from zero days to 300 days, there's 300 of yous that could potentially exist. And obviously, if you're doing it right, then you want the best potential you to emerge, right? So what Batman's doing is, in this case, he's fighting off potential hymns, right? Because obviously these are the imposters and these are, we'll say they're inferior imposters, right? These are people who, um, people who aren't as good as Batman. So we could say that when Batman decides to fight off these potential or these potential hymns, right? Who, who manifest themselves as the imposters, he could fight them off easily, right? And, um, and he and he beats them, right? And he says, "I don't want I don't want these other versions of me because they are bad, right?" So we could say that in his defeat of these imposters, right, he has chosen to be the person who works out three hundred days, right? He's chosen to act out the hero archetype, right? Because obviously, you see someone like Batman, who's very well put together. Right, and then you see someone like these guys, these these imposters who are not very well put together. And when Batman defeats them, right, it's a representation of okay, Batman has has defeated off potential hymns. Now, let's take that same idea and apply it to villains, right? Because that's exactly what the representation of the first scene of this movie is. So now you see the villain of the last movie, right, and Batman defeats him with ease. Right in the first scene of the movie, Batman just sort of going through his nightly, we'll say, criminal defeating. Right, and he takes, he beats the villain that it took him an entire movie to beat. He beats him in five minutes. Right, and what does that mean? That means that Batman has in his con, in his hero, in his previous hero's journey, right, in his previous mastery of defeating evil right, or defeating one stage of evil, he's able to do it consistently with ease, right? And that's the same idea as, as you know, um, as the fear of bats, right? You know, he goes through this real struggle of overcoming his fear of bats, but then after a while, it's really not that difficult anymore. And that's what you'd hope, right? If you're to go through your your day, right? If you're to go through your um, your your structure, right? You know, let's say you go on a hero's journey and you... Um, you, you start eating healthier, right? And when you start eating healthier, every single day in those first, we'll say, one to two months, you're really struggling to eat healthy. And it's really, you know, that is the confronting of evil, right? Or confronting the, the struggles within you, the, the pleasure instincts within you. But then after a while, it becomes easy and it becomes habit. Right, and you you're just you fight it off with ease, and that's exactly what this representation is. It says, okay, once you learn how to how to master something, you don't have to learn to master it again. You can move on to the next step in your we'll say developmental journey, and that's what Batman's doing. So not only is he um, is he able to fight off those potential hymns, right? Those potential bad versions of him, he's also able to fight off the potential reemergence of evil, right? Or re-emergence of, we'll say, lack of structure, right? And when he does that, he he's able to move on to the next step, you know? So there's there's this idea, and we don't really see this in, um, in this movie, but 
it's the idea of uh, the rejection of the hero's journey, right? Because Batman, obviously, he's he's a hero, right? And he's sort of embracing his ideas, you know, his his heroism. But um, but for a hero who rejects his hero's journey, you know, you imagine that that's almost every single movie as you go along. You know, actually, Batman rejects his hero's journey in the first movie. So you have um, you have this, you know, struggle, right? And you imagine, let's say you go on this struggle to go and, you know, go on a hero's journey, we'll say eat healthier, right? Or, um, or quit cigarettes or whatever, you know, and whenever you decide to do this, you say, okay, I am going to go on, I'm going to develop myself, right? And hopefully transform in the end. That's the hero's journey, you know, but what if you just say, you know, you just, you just say, I don't want to go on it. I just don't want to try it, right? It's not even worth it. Joseph Campbell, um, he, he addressed this idea in his in his creation of the hero's journey framework. He's the guy who created the hero's journey, so um, or understood the hero's journey for the first time, really, so, and and laid it out properly. So Joseph Campbell said, "For that person who rejects his hero's journey, for that person who um, who chooses not to develop anymore, right? Who says I'm not going to grow? I'm just going to." keep the skills that I have and I'm not going to go into any unknown territory, which is the representation of villains, you know. For that type of person, what happens is they end up decaying, right? Because you would imagine that we have this goal structure that exists within our heads. We need to be striving for a goal, right? And, um, and we'll imagine that you stop setting goals, right? Imagine that you stop setting goals to... Um, to continue to grow yourself and to continue to fight, we'll say, dragons of chaos, right? And when you do something like that, what happens? He says, you're not going to just stop having goals altogether because we're, we're, you know, we're naturally designed to have goals. You know, food, sex, well, food and sex is probably good, you know, understanding of the basic human framework, you know, food, sex, and don't die, you know? So imagine that you don't set a goal well, your brain's still going to want to set a goal. So what's it going to do? It's going to take the things that you're currently competent at, you know, so we'll say, let's say you just went on a hero's journey, you fixed your sleep schedule, you fixed your eating habits, and you also fixed your, you, you quit smoking, right? So we'll say, those are three hero's journeys that you went on, sort of like Batman Begins, you know, and, um, and you're competent in three areas. Well, what happens when you stop setting goals to conquer the unknown? You're going to start relapsing on the on the ones that you previously mastered because you need to set a goal right and the only reason that you that you relapse is because you have something to strive for right you continue you satisfy your need not to conquer the unknown but you also satisfy your need to have a goal and it results in a relapse right and well, what's the point of going on a hero's journey if you do that you know i i struggled with that really really hard you know throughout we'll say high school and the beginning of college, you know, I said I was going to, um, well, we'll say, let's pick one. The amount of times that I tried to fix my sleep schedule and failed. No, no, the amount of times I tried to fix my sleep schedule, succeeded and then relapsed was maybe 20 times, maybe more, something like that, because I literally... Just like, you know, 
I spent all my energy. Imagine you put all your energy on one goal, you know, and you say, I am going to, well, a good example is money, you know, I'm going to get perfect sleep, right? So, um, so you get perfect sleep and then you ask the question, what do I do now? Right? So then, then you relapse on the old, on the old habits, you know, and it's the same thing with money. It's like, you know, you have the goal as a, as a young guy to say, okay, I want to have all the money in the world. Right or I want to be I want to be rich enough to be financially free. Right and you, and you say that, but but really your whole financial your whole goal structure is centered around money. Right because obviously, so then you achieve all the money in the world or achieve all the money that you need, and then you ask the question, now what? Now what? You know that's such a common idea. That's such a that's such a well understood idea that we that I'm happy that we understand in our society. It's like you know I think we understand that all the money in the world will make you happy. And, um, and the problem is trying to create a rule, trying to create a goal structure and then going for that goal structure and then not having anything to pursue after that. Cause then what ends up happening is you either just give up on goals altogether and stagnate and then therefore decay or no, that's exactly what it is. You, you give up on goals altogether or yeah, you find a new goal and then you keep progressing. So that's, that's one of the. That's one of the main problems that I think people struggle with in their in their like midlife crisis time, right? Because midlife crisis, it's all right, you know. I've I've established a structure, I've established a, a way of living, and what do I do now, right? What do I do now? And the answer for a lot of people is they relapse a little bit, right? They they stop um, being the person that they once were, the that they once were, the hero that they once were, and then they they realize that they lost. We'll say four or five big either habits, structures, or things that they've previously mastered. And that's what Batman represents here. Batman, when he does, when he achieves in the first five minutes, when he conquers the potential hymns and he also conquers the previous villain, it's a representation. Batman is still mastering the things that he mastered in the previous movie. After his hero's journey, he has not relapsed. He has continued to strive for greatness instead of um, decaying, which is, you know, which is a good thing, which is a really, really good thing. And, well, maybe it's the most undervalued thing in the hero's journey because, you know, you go through the entire hero's journey and then we say at the end, we say happily ever after and you've succeeded. But obviously, well... If you've ever gone on a successful hero's journey, you know it's not that easy. You know, Joe Rogan, he says, I run every morning and about 50% of my mornings are miserable. Like I, or getting up to run is miserable. He's like, you know, I've been doing this for the last 30 years and still when I get up, I really just don't want to run. Like my body is telling me not to run, but I have to keep defeating it and keep going over it because, you know, if not, then I relapse, and if not, then then I then I lose the development that I previously established, which obviously is the antithesis to the hero's journey. You know, what well, what is the purpose of of mastering something if you just completely lose it afterwards? So then you see something like this, right? Then you see you know um, the Joker ends up hanging the the imposter Batman's because you know. Well, it's a representation that those potential Batmans that were that were there, they just, you know, those are those potential hymns would fail if they faced the Joker, right? Those the weak 
parts of him, you know, and we could say these are the people that didn't establish the principles, scheduling, ego, you know, um, confidence, determination, all these, all these heroic qualities in, in Batman, the people who didn't establish these, if they try to take down something like the Joker, then they would completely fail. They would be completely screwed. And, um, well, that's a good representation of it. That's something that I really, really, um, that I really, really like because what we're going to go through is we're going to go through the entire path of maybe enlightenment or the entire path of, we'll say, heroism, you know, or if we're going to take this into a, into a real life example, you know, the entire path of growing yourself, you know, like mastering whatever goals you want to achieve, you know, um, and just being the person that you want to be, you know, which is, well, maybe maybe the fundamental goal of of humanity, right, or, or individualism within humanity to be the person that that you strive to be. So, along this path, you're gonna you're gonna encounter something like the Joker, right? Along along your path to success, you're gonna encounter something like the Joker, and you gotta learn how to defeat something like that because. Well, it's, it's not that obvious because that's where most people fail, right? Most people don't fail in, we'll say, maybe the first hero's journey, which is getting to the gym, right? Saying, ah, oh, man, I haven't worked out in a while. I'm just going to go to the gym and work out, you know? And most people succeed in that. Most people make it through, we'll say, the first two weeks, and they, they really succeed. And, um, and kudos, like, that's really awesome, you know? Like, you set your New Year's resolution, and... Um, and you start going to the gym, you start taking action. That's a hero's journey in and of itself, right? But what do you what must you end up facing? You must face something like the Joker. You must face this destruction instinct that um that is ready to absolutely destroy you, right? It's it's ready to destroy all the progress that you've gotten so far. That's a good way of looking at it. Destroy all the progress that you've gotten so far and all the rules that you've established, all the structures, all the principles that you've established. You have somebody who's ready to take that down completely. And um, well, that's why we have the Joker. So, well, that is lecture one. We will be exploring that in the next lectures. Okay. So now I am tasked with trying to understand Harvey Dent. And I think I actually have a problem with Harvey Dent. I actually, he's, he's not the easiest to explain just simply based off the fact that he is, he ends up becoming a villain, right? Like, like what is it, first of all, right? Let's start with the basic premise that this all makes sense, right? I think I think this is the first premise you got to start with. He becomes a villain, and we could actually understand why, right? Like this story follows a logical flow, and that's why we like the Dark Knight, you know. And um, if it didn't, we probably wouldn't like the Dark Knight. And because Harvey Dent ends up becoming a villain, one thing that that's key to key to understand is that okay, this idea of Harvey Dent becoming a villain actually makes sense in reality, right? Like this actually happens and there's actually the potential that this could happen to you, right? Because this story makes sense. So that's, 
that's the first start. That's the first part, right? So when we look at someone like Harvey Dent, we got to say, okay, he ends up becoming a villain. And there's some reason why in this reason actually... Um, there's actually a reason behind it. Like, there's actually an explanation as to why some people turn evil. And I think that's a... Man, I mean, that's a great... That's a great, great um, thing to explore. It's like, okay, we see this idea that there are evil people in our society, but how did they become evil? How could you prevent yourself from becoming that, you know? And we don't often see this. We, we often see, you know, villains like the Joker or something like the Joker where they start off as the villain and they end as the villain. You don't really you don't really see the the transformation, but but with Harvey Dent they do a really good job here in. Well, if we're going to place him in a box. So the if we're going to place him in a box, right? So just to understand him, then we'll say that he's the White Knight, right? Obviously. And um and he's full of certainty, right? This is his thing that I think is the reason it's the reason for his success and it's also the reason for his downfall when you see something like harvey dent having this coin right and this coin obviously you flip it on both sides and it has heads on both sides and well you could say that he's a one-sided character you know he's he's one-sided in that he only does good and there's no evil that exists within him Right, do you see do you see do you, do you understand like okay maybe I could understand where this falls off the rails because it starts out with this character who's obviously you know a very good uh what is he district attorney head prosecutor one of them right he obviously prosecutes he, he's gonna be dealing with the prosecution of the mob so obviously taking down the bad guys and um and well, he's all good. And well, if you watch the last lecture, right? Like the question that we're going to be asking ourselves is, you know, can someone be all good? Is is that does that type of person exist? And and how how could how could such a person exist? It doesn't seem obvious to me that that the answer is yes. It doesn't seem obvious to me because you know. Um, well, let's take let's take the idea of Harvey Dent and let's apply it to essentially I'm not going to say every popular guy, most popular guys that exist out there, you know? Lawyers, um, politicians, celebrities, executives, right? There's this giant problem of um, sexual misconduct, right? You recently, you know, as I'm speaking, like Andrew Cuomo is getting absolutely crushed for this, right? A politician. And, you know, the reason why I bring up Andrew Cuomo is because I actually, I think, I think he's the perfect example. I think he's the perfect, perfect example. You have someone like Andrew Cuomo and I really liked Andrew Cuomo. Like I really, really liked him. And, you know, um, during COVID, he was, he was a very, very strong figure. Like he was always, he was a strong, strong leader. And he was the representation of the good king. You know, somebody who's going to lead and who's going to lead correctly. And we could say that, we could say that Harvey Dent, something like that, the representation of the good king. And well, what happens, right? The problem is that, and this, this is, this is why I'm skeptical of, essentially everybody who becomes famous, right? 
or every politician. The problem is that they're only showing you one part of their self, right? They're only showing you the part of themselves that they want you to see, right? Because they have, you imagine, you know, you know, you look at yourself and you say, okay, is this politician like me? And you'd hope that, you know, the, the common denominator between you and the politician is that you're both human, right? And this difficult fact that we're human really will say comes with this this problem right that we're so damn complex right we have this part of us like let's not disagree with this with this right we have this harvey Dent part of us the part of us that wants to be um a hero right socially loved um always doing the right thing sort of like the representation of a of a good person right we'll say that someone who's good in action as well as intention right and that's that's Harvey Dent, right? But then we also have this other part of us, right? And, well, <laughs> this part of us is the the reason why we're so complex, right? We have this much, you know, maybe, maybe this part of us that desires to be monstrous, right? Maybe disagree, be aggressive, um, not f- be responsible, right? Maybe the type that, you know, there's one element that I that I think is really, really interesting and a lot more relatable is this Garfield part of us, right? Like I call it the Garfield part of us. Imagine you have the hero part of you that really wants to go this way, but then you have the part of you that says, but you could just spend two hours watching some TV because that feels good. You know, like you, you do have that part of you and that part exists. And well, those, those two parts of you are constantly coming in battle. So the problem, right, and, and we'll say this is universal, right? Everybody has to fight through this, and everyone has to fight through essentially everything that the Joker represents. The Joker represents um, resistance, right, which could be, yeah, something like the jo- uh, something like Garfield. But it also can be something like anger, aggression, resentment, bitterness, right? Like there are all these potential personalities within you, and, you know, we're hoping that the Harvey Dent within you wins out. So, so that's the problem with Harvey Dent. The problem with Harvey Dent is that he's one-sided, right? There's there's the good part of him, and then there's the good part of him, right? There's heads and tails, but it's really heads and heads, and there's only good parts of him. And the real problem with that is that he... Well, that makes him naive, right? That's the problem, right? The problem is... He's ignorant about the Joker part of himself. Or, yeah, yeah, we'll go with that, right? He's ignorant about the destruction, the pain, and the, we'll say, evil that lies within him. And But we could say that he was never this guy, right? This guy, right? This guy who has two sides of the same coin, right? Two heads on his coin is not the full representation of Harvey Dent. It's only the part of him that he's discovered. It's only the part of him that he knows so far. He hasn't even confronted his, we'll say, Joker part of him, right? And well, that's that's the problem with Andrew Cuomo, right? So you have someone like Andrew Cuomo and he's he was the white knight of We'll say New York City, and I'm from New Jersey, so New Jersey during COVID, right? Everybody loved him, and everybody thought he was doing such a tremendous job. But the problem is you only see one side of him, right? You imagine that, well, maybe this Joker part of Andrew Cuomo was obviously like 
sexual misconduct, something like that, right? And um, well, it's it's proven by by if you were to take a man, right, and put him under a MRI scanner, right, and then show him pornographic images, right, of of women. The thing that you're going to see is you imagine that we have this animal brain, right? That's like the core of our fundamental motivations. And then on top of it, we have the human brain, right? And it's, it's a super simple thing. It's like if your human brain lights up, then you're gonna, probably going to think with more logic, reason, all of these things, right? But if your animal brain lights up, you are essentially acting the same thing as a monkey. Usually what happens when you... Um, when you act or do anything is that both of them light up. So it's sort of like the, there's the mediation between, between the two parts, your animal brain and your human brain. And, you know, both of them are important, right? Imagine that you didn't, if you didn't have your animal brain, you'd never fall in love or you'd never have any desire to meet people whatsoever. Right. And you could see that by you cut off, you, you essentially get rid of the dopamine within a, a, a mouse, right. Or, well, dopamine was one and testosterone was the other. And what was the other one? The hippocampus, right? So these are all parts of the of the animal brain, right? That we share with mice. If you cut off any of those, we'll say animalistic impulses, the, the mouse would just sit there and do nothing because they have no motivations whatsoever. So you have the animal side and then you have the human side. If you were to show a male, and this is specific with men, you show a male pornographic images, only the animal brain lights up. Only. There's no part of the logical, rational part of our brain that lights up. And, and the problem with that, and this is something that I find incredibly unfortunate for men, is that um, we are essentially monkeys when it comes to sex, right? That is, that is the essential problem. This is why you have this entire Me Too movement. And this is why, you know, you have inhumane acts of rape that have taken across all of history and you want, you ask the question why do men do some awful things sexually and the answer is because because we're essentially just walking monkeys when it comes to sex women they're a little bit different they have a little part of their their human brain their cortex lights up so now you have this essential problem of we'll, we'll take it in the in the guise of something like andrew cuomo it's like he has he, he only showed us his the the good side of him. He only showed us the the good side of his coin, we'll say. But there was another part of him that, that we didn't want to see. And, well, then he never even showed us. And that, that's why, you know, I'm always suspicious of the people, you know. That's why I'm always suspicious of the self-help type of people. And I'm included in that category, you know. So um, the problem is that if someone says that, I have all the answers. It's like, no, it's only the answers that they're trying to show you, right? And God, it's like, try to meet someone who isn't flawed. That's that's a good way of looking at it. It's like, everybody's flawed. It's just a matter of whether or not you want to show someone your flaws. And and this is this is true. Like, you do this too. It's not something that that is that is only for the people at the top. You know, imagine you go and you meet a stranger. You're not going to start telling them about your problems right away. You're not going to start telling them about your flaws. I did this... I did this um, little social experiment with a, with a group of people that I was talking to. I asked them all. I said, you know, we didn't we knew each other a little bit, but we didn't we didn't really know each other that well. And I asked them the question. I go, is anybody willing to stand up and tell me your deepest darkest secret? 
right? The thing that you don't tell your best friends, the thing that you don't tell your family, the thing that you don't tell your intimate partner, right? Like, are you willing to share that with the group right now? And obviously the answer was no, right? And I think I think that's implicit in the way that we... Um, in the way that we talk to strangers, it's like we, we like to stick with these surface level conversations. And it's a little, even when, even when we dive deeper, we're not diving deeper into those deep, you know, dark corners of ourselves. And well, the problem is, right? The problem with that is that you'd be showing someone the darkest side of your coin, right? You'd be showing someone the joke or part of you and you really don't want people to see that. So that's, that's, That's the representation of Harvey Dent, right? The representation of Harvey Dent is that he's only showing us the part of him that that he wants us to see. And and it's almost childish, right? This is, this is why it's a little difficult to understand him. It's almost childish because that's what children do, right? Children, if you watch Batman Begins, it's the same idea. It's like children are incredibly naive because they don't really because they don't really understand the darker parts of the world, right? Because, I mean, you imagine you're a kid and you're eight years old and, you know, you have no idea that maybe you know that people die, but you don't, you don't understand the degree to which people suffer and because um, you never had to go through it, right? And and the problem with that is you're incredibly naive, right? You only see the good side of life. You see the world as something beautiful and something to sort of play with, but it's more than that. And that's the problem with, with Harvey Dent. So, um, so he even says something like, he even says something like, um, where was it? It was right here. He says something about suspending democracy, right? Like there's something that's um, noble in suspending democracy whenever, whenever there is a threat because well, and giving it up to a dictator, and and that's that's sort of Harvey Dent's problem. He's very, very tr- maybe trusting is the wrong word, but because there are times where he shows distrust, but he's very naive. Like he doesn't see the the potential that obviously bringing a dictator in would cause. So, okay, so to close off this lecture. I wanted to make one final point, and this really brings together every single thing that we brought through through this entire lecture. And hopefully, this is this is this is the the life lesson that you could finally take from all this all this knowledge that that I hopefully just bestowed upon you. So, you have someone like Dent, right? And the problem with Dent is that Dent is naive. Right? We just established that, right? He's only good. He's only showing you one part of himself. What is the message in this movie? The message is only showing a particular part of yourself, aka not being a fully integrated person, not fully being in touch with all of the, we'll say, parts of you right? That just like Batman is, right? Not doing that will leave you vulnerable to, we'll say more specifically, well, the Joker, right? So, so generally we could say the Joker, more specifically, you could say either something like pathological belief systems, um, 
bitterness, resentfulness, um, inability to control impulses, right? The problem with Harvey Dent is that he is too naive and therefore too unaware of the own of the problems or of the potential darkness that exists within his own self. That is the problem. And we could we could sort of conceptualize that throughout the whole thing, right? Because obviously who's the one who ends up turning um, Harvey Dent into Two Face, right? The villain, right? It's um it's the Joker, right? It's because he finally met the darkest part of himself. And he caved because he was unable to, he was unprepared to face the thing that he had so long, for so long been avoiding, right? That's the message that you could finally get from that. And then, well, that's the best part. So now in the, in the rest of these lectures, we're going to be taking a look at the Joker and his interplays with Batman, right? And his interplays with Batman is Batman is someone who is well integrated, and hopefully we could take someone like Batman and Batman is going to figure out how to integrate a part of or how to understand and defeat something like the Joker instead of caving like Harvey Dent. So that's going to be something that we're going to be exploring in the next lectures. So, um, so yeah, off to the next one. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you liked it, please subscribe.